just mm. wow and this is where you start to really see the benefit of compound interest because um it's showing you that you put in a total of fifty two thousand, so you have diligently put your fifty dollars in a fortnight over 40 years but because you got to take advantage of capital growth and income yeah. and look at that snowball most of the return here two hundred thirty-three thousand, was not actually your money at all it was from growth and income so um like that's a lot of money for just putting fifty dollars a fortnight away yeah. on a regular basis Hey everyone, so today is part two of our finance episode with Kate Campbell, who's from How to Money podcast as well as Australian Finance podcast. So last week was an introduction into finance. For beginners, no matter whether you're confident or not confident, it's just a really good ease into things like superannuation and investments and just how to be more conscious of your money and where it's going. So I would really, really recommend listening to that before this one um, if you're unsure about money. Otherwise, if you know what, you you do you. (laughs) Just go ahead with what you want to do. So today is going to go into the nitty gritty of superannuation and investment investments and really the practical side of it. Remembering though, it is general advice only. So why is that? Well, Kate explains here. Australia has really, really tight laws on what's personal and what's general advice, um, which is why I'm not going to be telling you right now which is the best ETF or which is the one I use personally because that suddenly does become advice. Um, I Kate, think there have are I some... done that? Have I um, actually <laughs> inadvertently broken the law in any way? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. Like, oh, okay. We can talk good. about different... <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so haven't broken any rules. I am a good standing citizen. Uh, also, this episode will contain screen sharing, much like last episode, and it's all about that money calculator, which is really good fun, but it's mainly fun if you have the YouTube version or you're watching via the YouTube version instead of listening. Because, yeah, it just won't make sense otherwise. So that link for the YouTube video is in the show notes. And I think that is it. Let's jump into it. Kate, if you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? Because I know for a fact it is very different to what a lot of people would do is spend it on a car and then spend it on this and yeah so what would you do Kate how much have I won oh very yeah, true it's that's gonna be a... very different oh okay that's a very interesting point then <laughs> I'll give you two values oh, yeah. um one is a classic million and oh, I'll yeah, think of a, another just a mill yeah yeah just to <laughs> just a cheeky mill uh-huh so yeah what would you do with a million dollars I think now because I know what a million dollars, like the financial security, a million dollars can give you a base level of financial independence because you can withdraw 4% a year and it can continue indefinitely. So I could have at least 40 grand a year to live on. I'd invest it all. And I know that I'm sort of set for life, whatever I choose to do with my career. I mean, a million dollars invested would completely change your family's future for generations to come, hopefully. Uh, most people don't do that though. <laughs> most people would um, end up like loading the money to people and never getting it back or going on holidays or buying a, as soon as you buy a house, like that million dollars is gone. Yeah. So I guess I would, I would invest it. Maybe I'd spend like 10 or 20 grand on a holiday, but <laughs> at the moment I can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, I'm interested though, the value that you gave 4% from that yeah. one mil. What gives you that value as opposed to 10% or as opposed to other funds? Yeah. So 4% is, it's like the Trinity study that happened in the US a while back. I mean, there's some debate about whether that's still applicable today, but it's a lot of people in the financial community um, will use that as like a potential safe withdrawal rate from that amount. So let's say you've got your million dollars in sort of a growth fund or invested in growth assets, and you can probably expect to return 7% on average per year. And so by taking only 4% um, of your capital or 4% out as income, you're not um, cannibalizing the million dollars. So you can like keep that million dollars and keep growing it over time, albeit a bit more slowly, um, but you can still take 40 grand a year out um, without having to worry that you're slowly eating up the million dollars. So you would, and you said that you would invest. So would you invest the one mil completely and then take from that investment 40 grand per year? Is that what you meant? Yeah. So you might just put it a million dollars completely in a diversified high growth um, exchange traded fund portfolio or something of that, something similar to like that. So I think a lot of you just dissociated from this phrase. Diversified high growth um, exchange traded fund portfolio. Which is totally understandable. And if this completely blew over your head, don't worry because Kate and I are going to discuss this in detail. So hold on and we'll get to it. So you could sell enough um, of your portfolio so you can draw down, take out 40 grand each year, um, but it still keeps growing because it's growing at a rate greater than 4% a year. So yeah, I guess it's like a lot of people think about that when they're coming up to retirement is how much can they live on each year without slowly eating the million dollars or whatever they've got in their super. Right. Then going on the going on the other end then, less than one mil, say 500,000. Again, would that be the same philosophy as what you did for one mil? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 500,000, if you don't, in, like, if you invest it, that'll change your life. If you just start giving some to family, if you buy a, I mean, even in Melbourne, 500,000 might get your one bedroom apartments. So you might not even be buying a house, but you could use it as a deposit. Um, but yeah, if you don't use that 500,000 wisely, it'll disappear in a year or two. Um, but if you do invest it wisely, well, it can change your financial future. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we will talk about the smart ways of investing now. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at the list of my questions. And I'm like, is this something? No, we're going straight. My lottery that. answers are probably kind of boring. No. <laughs> Someone no. else would do. And I, honestly, I got asked this question three days ago and I, my really? answer. Yeah. Yeah. It was an icebreaker question for the start of the day. <laughs> Yeah. And I answered with, I would spend some money on something I enjoyed, uh, you know, maybe a bike. No, definitely a bike. And then, (laughs) and then I would invest the whole lot, the rest, Mm. and I would invest it in EDFs and we will go into what EDFs are. But first of all, what we referenced before was super. So before we jump into super, if you're really beginner or if you just don't know much about super, I would really recommend listening to last episode, which we just introduced the idea of super as well as other money concepts and why it's important. So, um, but if you're a rebel, whatever, screw it. (laughs) Let's just keep going. Super is one of the most overlooked things just because of the fact that everyone has it. 
if you yeah. have a stable income and you're privileged enough to have that, super is going to be part of your life. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize was that super was an investment. I thought super was just people holding my money as cash, as just something that didn't grow at all, which I, in hindsight now, just doesn't make sense because I would be left with $2,000 at my retirement. And so what's the investment segment or portion of super? Yeah. So with superannuation, um, like many other financial products, there's different fund managers. So you might've heard of some of the big ones. Now I'm not giving you any recommendation here. I'm just going to chuck out a few big names of industry super funds. We've got Australian Super, Hester, Host Plus, NGS, Care Super. They're some of the, just the names off the top of my head. And they're big, massive superannuation funds. And what they do is they actually manage the money on your behalf. So um, for most of you, you won't actually be able to manage your own superannuation, although that is a possibility if you have quite a lot of money in your super but um, I won't really talk about that today um, so you've got your three thousand dollars in your super right now and someone has to look after it and manage it on your behalf and so all these big superannuation funds they have different offerings they have different fees they have all sorts of investment options that you can choose from so for most people you can actually choose your superannuation fund which you don't always know because if you at your job, if you don't choose a super fund, you get given the default fund that that workplace has chosen. And that's maybe because they have a connection. So some of the super funds historically have been like some of the super funds were for health industry professionals and some were for education and some for union or trades. And so you would end up just in the default, usually the balance fund. So very sneakily, these balanced funds usually have the highest fees, which is interesting because they're the default. And I've ranted about my own experiences with my super company, or at least the one that I was previously with. I even made a YouTube video in (laughs) in the height of my frustration. But there are plenty of other things to take into consideration. But yeah, just know that the balance fee is the highest fee and then decide what to do with that information. And so you would end up just in the default, usually the balance fund um, of the the superannuation fund of your employer's choice. But for most people now, you can actually just tell your employer, I want you to pay my money into this super account and they just do that. Um, so once you've, you've got your super, so we're under super company XYZ, and then within that super company, they'll offer maybe a dozen if it's a really big one, or if it's a small one, maybe just a handful of different investment options. And that's when you get even more choice. So firstly, you can choose the superannuation fund manager. So the big overhead um, that actually manages the money and they employ staff. Yeah, Yeah, so different companies. Um, So they have lots of employees, they have lots of staff. Um, they, They offer your, they give you customer support. They have analysts that pick where to invest the money. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they've got whole teams that deal with that. So you can pick the overall company that manages your super fund and then you get another choice is what your super is invested in itself. So you can choose to have the money in many super funds in cash. Um, I think as someone that's young, cash without sort of giving financial advice, cash is a very dangerous option because if you have if you put your money into cash and you leave your superannuation there for 40 years, 
it's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, I know and just some... to clarify, so cash, because when I was starting, I had no idea what the difference between yeah. cash and other things were. So cash is just cash, <laughs> money, sitting there not growing because it's not invested, invested in anything. Is that right? Yeah. It's just sitting there in massive lump of money in bank accounts. And a lot of people actually do have cash. Um, and I know retirees do use it a bit more strategically because they're actually having to take money out each year. But a lot of people got scared last year during at the start of COVID and did change their money to cash. And the scary thing is that a lot of people will then forget, forget that they ever did that change. And for the next 10 or 20 years, their money just might not grow inside of their superannuation. Um, and so you'll have cash in large super funds. So let's just pretend I'm talking about a large super fund here. Um, you'll have maybe a conservative fund and then usually we'll go up from there. We might have a growth. We might have a high growth. We might have an aggressive So I've actually just slotted in the bit where Kate and I screen share and discuss the types of funds on the OzTuber website. We're doing a real time, so it just flows on from this, I guess. And we're on the OzTuber website, not because we're endorsed by them or sponsored, though OzSuper, you're you're most welcome. Uh, But OzSuper, just because it's one of the bigger super funds. And we just got here by Googling investment options OzSuper and then picking their pre-mixed investment options and then starting with the balanced fund. Different yeah, ones. so they've so got start- 90% of their members in their balanced options. So a lot of people are imbalanced. Um, it may not be the best option for you, so I would investigate all of the options as well. Right. So we mentioned high growth. So that's often the one that they'll say 10, 20, 30-year time frame. That'll be the high-risk product. But most of your money will be invested directly in um, Australian and overseas investments through the stock exchange. And that will have the highest generally um, return over a long period of time because you'll be able to see the um, performance chart and never look just at one or two years. Always um, click. It'll tell you like when you can select the time frame, it'll say like one, three, five, all. Always click all. And you want to see what the returns are over time because everyone can have one really good year or one really bad year. but It takes a bit more work to have good consistently over 10 or 20 years. Um, Mm. There's a socially aware I haven't heard of. A lot of super funds are starting to offer more um, ethical overlays on their super funds or like ESG, which is environmental social governance. Um, They'll look at those factors when they decide what they invest in. Awesome. So yeah, that's, I do also know they have ethical super. Um, yeah. which is also specifically for ethical um, ethical shares. There's index diversified, there's conservative balance, which we talked about. So <laughs> a lower, lower growth, however, more stability. And then they have stable. Different funds will call them different names. Like stable might be their version of conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you so, can scroll down and find out more details as well. Oh, yeah. So this is what you would be investing in and they just give you a breakdown of, everything and generally cash is bigger with stable or conservative yeah. mm. so you got 25 percent of your super in that option is invested in cash yeah um and then 30 percent fixed interest so bonds and things like that mm. so um, if we were to go into high growth it would be much different uh cash is only three <laughs> percent as yeah. opposed to a 25 percent 
And so you have a lot more exposure to Australian and international shares. You've got a bit of private yeah. equity there. Um, that's always a bit of a mystery what that actually is. But then you've no also idea. got um, some direct property. So they're, they're owning probably some buildings and different things, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They might have warehouses. Sometimes yeah. people own like harbours or ports, um, all sorts of super funds get up to a bit of fun um, in terms of what they've got so much money, they can invest in some more interesting things. Um, And then maybe you've got some cash and bonds in there as well. So it's quite an interesting pool of different investments. Um, Sometimes they'll have like um, recommended time investment timeframe. So they'll say, if you cash might be for someone who needs their money in the next year conservative might be someone that needs their money in the next five years so they can give you guidelines and indications of like this is a high risk or a low risk product um, this should be a 20-year time frame investment um, they might do different things but they're not going to tell you you can only do this or this okay so now changing tracks we're going to discuss the fees for our super accounts i find it very dangerous sometimes with super especially when with our first job. So for me, I worked Mm. first in Cotton On and they gave me a super fund. Little did I know though, and I've made a, I think I made a YouTube Mm. video of this way back, which covered the fact that I was paying absurd fees for, I didn't know, I just assumed super was just super and it would be the same for everywhere. But (laughs) they were making my balance go into the negatives, first of all. I was paying for an advisor I had no idea about and my investments were so conservative that I was making absolutely no money from it. So Mm. this combination just stressed to me that this is happening to a lot of different people unknowingly because if you just stick with the same super and never check it ever, ever, by the time you retire, you'll realize that you would have lost out on a lot of money just by not choosing the big super fund at the start and just making sure that you, the fees don't accumulate over time because they are quite big. Uh, I mm. remember there were fees for using the service. So using the big super fund. So that's already a fee which changes yeah. pending. I remember there was also another fee, which was the investment fee. So by being part and by taking control of this investment, you have to pay a fee to actually invest in Mm. it. And they also change depending on the investment type. And all of these things, I just didn't know at all until I researched. And this seems like a lot of information, but to the people who are listening or watching, that was research and it was hard. However, I am in hindsight so glad that I did it because I would have been very much in the negatives or very low, (laughs) if anything. There are a lot of fees to to be aware of. And I mean, as you mentioned, there's like an administration fee, which is often like a set. It might be $1.50 a week or $2, depending on what the fund is. And then they'll, so it gets a bit confusing because they'll have a set fee, like this is xyz dollars per week or per month plus they'll have a percentage fee for the investment management as you said Um, and that will be different depending on different funds because it costs them more um, to run certain products like running a cash fund is pretty cheap but maybe running their um, high growth fund costs a bit more because they're doing a bit more Mm. weirder stuff inside of it so um, yeah being aware of those fees plus um, you can add on advice fees to your super funds yeah. um, also insurance 
Um, so you might end up, you might realize go in and then realize, oh, you're paying, um, you've got life insurance, you've got total permanent death and disability insurance, you've got income insurance, you've got trauma insurance. If you're in your 20s right now, what insurance, like you might actually really want certain insurances, but just making sure you're not paying them by default, you're actually going, having a conversation with yourself and going, I want this insurance um, and I've got the right level of cover because you can always change those things as well. So um, it, there's a few websites now, which I can provide to you later for the show notes, but um, they allow you to compare super funds a little bit more easily. So you can go, hey, this is what I'm currently in. I'm in the XYZ fund balanced option. Um, and maybe I want to compare it with this other industry funds growth option, like what are the returns, what are the fees, what are the um, insurance options? Um, and then you can have a look um, at the different options available and what might be a better fit for you. Mm -hmm. Super, super important. I just, mm. I hope that people listening to this do take that advice on board because an hour, as you mentioned in the last episode, an hour a week or something just to manage mm. that will save you so much time and effort down the line. Yeah, super is so important. Mm -hmm. And just to basically recap the idea of super. So we automatically get allocated a super fund, a big branded super fund, and we yep. can choose to leave at any time. I, I personally did that. Uh, there are fees, but in the long term, it's worth it. Oh, they manage our super fund. They invest in uh, either conservative growth, high growth, aggressive all of these different funds that we can choose whether or not to invest in. Uh, and there's mm. plenty of uh, difference in fees, difference in the actual returns that you get. And then also make sure that you're not paying for things that you actually don't use. So for example, mm. an advisor, if you don't need an advisor or insurance, if you don't need insurance. And now Kate and I just compare the different funds on the money calculator, just to see how much it changes things. So if we go into our superannuation calculator, uh, this is so much fun. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> you and your super fund age. Why is the age important? Because um, oh. that's how many years you've got to compound. That's true. Okay, let's say they're 21. Uh, and the income, ooh, good question. I don't know if they got their first job. Are they on 40 grand, 50 grand? Yeah, oh, there's a flight. Um, okay, yeah, let's say <laughs> 40,000. Desired retirement age, yeah, let's just say 67. Super balance as of currently, let's say, is 1,000. Uh, so admin fees. Oh, see, this is where the PDS would come in handy because they tell you all the, all the fees. Yeah. So the PDS is actually just a legal document about the super fund and really everything you need to know about it. So the fees, um, what they're investing in, all of that jazz. So to find that, you would just Google, so you'd insert the super fund name and then after it, write PDS, which is the product disclosure statement. Right. And so this is literally real time what I would do if I was considering going into Oz Super and using their thing. Mm. I, would, I would type in indexed diversified Australian super PDS. Oh, now this is the hard bit. And they make PDS is not so fun to look at. Yeah. I control F is my friend when it comes to PDS. True. Yeah. Let's just go with balance then. We've got a administration Whoop. fee. Of $2.25 per week. 
plus uh, yeah it makes it a bit hard see if when they have um set dollar fees plus percentage fees it starts to you definitely need a calculator once you get to that oh advice fees which is what i was paying but i wasn't with oz super but that's essentially yeah. what i was paying without me even knowing investment return i'm not sure if they've said that here balanced was 7.35 three days later Ooh. okay so by the time you're 67 you would have ended with nearly $350,000. So then Kate and I compared that to the stable fund, which has a return of around 5.33%. And that came to $210,000. So comparing that to nearly $350,000 from the other fund, it's around a $140,000 difference. I will leave that to you to ponder. Yeah, it, it's a good example to show you how important it is that you're aware of what investment option you're in um, because the difference between a, I don't know, a stable or a diversified fund and a high growth fund is quite a lot over multiple decades. Mm, that's insane. I hope that, yeah, for, for whoever's looking at this and who's listening, <laughs> that was a just a snapshot of what can happen if you're not aware of the fees that you're paying or the mm. investments that you're invest investments that you're invested in. Yes. <laughs> uh, all of that stuff is, if you're unaware of that, you could be missing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> mm. just by yeah. not knowing at the start. So I think we're trying to emphasize as well as just being aware of where your money's going. Yeah. Also, it's not that you have to be financially literate at the start to be able to do this, but that you can, you know, over time, learn this and become more confident with it. And now, because super isn't entirely, well, it's definitely not the only investment option, there mm. are actual ETFs <laughs> and there are yeah. shares and everything. And we mentioned last episode about just introducing what ETFs are. But just to recap, what are ETFs and now moving into the actual logistics of investing? How do we go about that? So I thought before we jump into ETFs, there is one money misconception that is really, really big. And I feel like just caused a lot of you to go, nah, investing's not for me. So this is it. There was a money misconception that you referenced in, um, in your episode, which was the fact that, oh, I don't have enough money to invest because a lot of people think you need a thousand, two thousand, which people recommend, but you can start as little as 50 to a hundred. And that is a worthwhile investment just to, I guess, again, start off with baby steps and then move to bigger investments once you get more confident with that. Okay, so now on to EDF investing. Investing in shares, investing in exchange-traded funds, your super does that too. So you may be already invested in some of those products without you knowing it. But um, to talk a little bit, so shares... Um, Let's say, let's just pick like CBA just because it's an, everyone knows Commonwealth Bank. Um, you can buy, Commonwealth Bank is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. You can open up a brokerage account. and. Go so for those of you who don't know, brokerage accounts are essentially accounts that you need to buy shares. Whether they're ETFs or just other shares, you need one. So companies like Self-Wealth have it uh, or major banks like Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank. A and Z. Oh, there are so many. Stock Exchange, you can open up a brokerage account and go and buy a share of Commonwealth Bank and become a shareholder. And then with exchange traded funds, instead of having to 
buy one individual share of something like Commonwealth Bank or any other company you've got your eye on, you can buy one exchange traded funds and get fund and get exposure to all of the top 200 companies uh, in Australia. But I guess if we want to build on that, you it doesn't have to be just Australia. There's um, what we call sort of indices where they track different baskets of companies. So it could be the top 50 companies in Australia. It could be the top um, 50 property and infrastructure listed companies in Australia. It could be um, the top 500 US companies. Um, and they're even getting so niche nowadays that you could buy um, like specific robotic and technology companies. So you might go, hey, I love the robotic sector. I want to be invested in that. I want to own a piece of the pie. I want to get involved. How do I how do I get involved? And you go, hey, I don't really know which robotic company I want, but I just think this is a growing industry. So you can actually buy units in an exchange traded fund that uh, invests in the top like 50 or 100 robotic and technology companies in Australia or overseas. And so exchange traded funds have really changed the world of investing over the last, mainly over the last decade, but they've sort of been around a few decades now. Um, they all sort of stand up with the, started with Vanguard Group back in the US, but um, it's really changed the way that you never, you don't have to make a decision now of which company you want to buy and sell and whether that company's doing good things this week or next week. You can use exchange traded funds to build your investment portfolio without having to make too many decisions at all, except which exchange traded funds you want, um, what mixture do you want in your portfolio. But it does mean you don't have to worry about the news too much because you're not going, hey, did some scandal happen to my company today? What sort of hole did they dig for themselves? Um, you can focus more on that overall sector. A hundred percent. I think it's one of the best ways to dip your toes into investing. Also, I'm just going to remind you, this is not telling you to do this. This is not personal advice, just just general advice or a strong suggestion by me. Realistically, it's up to you and your situation. You're, do, you're giving the task of choosing investments and the hard stuff to other people. So you're not, yeah. I, I love it because it was so low maintenance for me. I just needed mm -hmm. to know the actual investment um, brand or the company like Vanguard yeah. just to know that they were okay but I didn't have to go into detail and go okay well what are these a hundred different shares mm. I have to I have to uh, keep into consideration if one fails which I've invested a lot of money in then that means my whole income or my whole investment will decrease as opposed to I can invest in this fund which has a hundred shares already in it so if one of the shares fails, the 99 others are still going strong. So my money yeah. invested will not dip. And because I personally am risk adverse, I just don't like the idea of losing money. And I know a lot of people are the same, which actually prevents a lot of people from even jumping in mm. into the field of finance and investing. So I, I would personally recommend uh, if you're unsure about investing, investing for this to be the place to start yeah and as you as you touched on um exchange traded funds give you a really great way to diversify as you said the one in a hundred if one company goes down the whole ship doesn't go down um and diversification is such an important part of managing your finances um and, and managing your life really i think it's an important word but it's it, the essence is not putting your, all your eggs in one basket so you're not 
putting all your money with one fund manager. You're not giving one person all the responsibility for managing your money. And it's always sad when you see the stories on TV that someone had all their money with one fund manager, that something happened. Um, and then they're saying, well, my life savings gone. Like I've got no retirement money anymore. It's all just all disappeared. All they've invested in maybe a company that turned out to be fraudulent um, and the company became insolvent and all their money gone because they put it all in one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, diversification, if you can take one principle out of today, it is diversification and not and spreading your risk. So if you think this is a bit complicated, that is okay, understandable, but please hold on because we are going to address this idea. For the people who are just very hesitant and going, I don't even know, uh, you don't have to choose a perfect fund at the start. Um, just yeah. making sure that you sort of just dip your toes in. Oh, yeah, well, this is the top 200. Uh, this is a really common one because it's a simple Google. I, I think yeah. all I did was just Google what is a popular safe ETF. And people have blogs which uh, give that information. And mm. it's just maybe about reading five different blogs and seeing what pops up the most. And that could be the whole thing. Like you, yeah. it doesn't have to be that complicated. And I know we've talked about a lot of different aspects of it, but at the end of the day, uh, the information is on Google. <laughs> it, yeah. it really and, is. Yeah. And I guess if you want to get someone to help you, you can get the help of a financial advisor. So like mm. no one's technically, unless you go to a financial advisor and get financial advice, no one can actually say to you, hey, you should invest in this specific yeah. ETF in Australia. I know like a lot of people just say to their friends, hey, I'm doing this or on Facebook groups, they'll say I'm using this, this and this ETF. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess you can find a lot on Google. Um, Facebook groups, there's a lot of, um, if you're interested in building an ETF portfolio, there's a lot of um, financial independence Facebook groups that are very active and everyone is very engaged at building um, their investment portfolios and they'll share their approaches. So I mean, take everything you read with a grain of salt, but it is good to see what other people are doing that have done the research. And you can have a look at what they're looking at as their comparison factors and get in, in that way. Um, and my other cheat hack is looking at the robo-advisors in Australia. So going to Six Park, um, having a look at Stockspot, having a look at InvestSmart. And what they do for their clients is they build diversified portfolios. So if you want a high-growth ETF portfolio, they'll build it for you. Um, and you can invest in like these pre-mixed portfolios. But if you go to their websites, you can actually see which ETFs they use in their diversified portfolios. So that might give you a starting point as well as a little cheat. I think the hardest bit is starting. And so by yeah. using those sorts of resources, it really just at least reduces the stress of just going, I don't know what to do at the start. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. if you only got $100, you can't afford to go to a financial advisor when that's going to cost a couple of grand for a statement of advice. Yeah. So it's more important that you start, like you might not make the perfect decision, but if you make a, oh, that decision's like 80% of the way there, it's like a, it's a pretty good option. Then I think it's more important just to put your foot in the water, put your first 50, a hundred dollars um, in the investment market and learn from there. Because once you've got a bit of money in, you'll be a lot more committed to learning about it on a regular basis. Exactly. But how do we actually start? Because, and, and this is more going towards the actual practical side now. 
Uh, we yeah. actually do need an investment platform. Uh, what do we call it? Uh, it's a brokerage account. That's right. We need yeah. a brokerage account. And so now this is where people dissociate. This is where people just go, brokerage, <laughs> I quit. But what are these accounts? Yeah. So um, you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, can I buy your CBA shares? It's just very hard to do it. So what's happened is that there's they've created a platform for you to buy and sell shares in different companies and buy and sell units in exchange traded funds. And so what you do is you open up a brokerage account, like all the major banks offer brokerage accounts. Um, there's a whole heap of other really popular ones. I mean, if you just search brokerage site, um, brokerage account comparison sites, um, you'll find a whole range of different options in Australia. And what that does, it allows you to buy units from other people. So when I'm buying a share in Commonwealth Bank, for example, Commonwealth Bank isn't giving me the share directly. Someone already owns that share. So if I, you own your Commonwealth Bank share right now, Joe, and I want to buy it from you, um, what the marketplace does is means I don't ever have to know who you are. You don't know who I am. It all happens in a really frictionless, easy way. So I would just go onto my brokerage account and say, hey, I want to buy a share in Commonwealth Bank. This is the price I'm prepared to pay. And if you, at the same time, want to sell it, you'll go into your brokerage account and say, hey, I want to sell it at this price. And if every, all the stars align and everything works um, and it hits the same price, bam, the sale will go through and the shares will change ownership. But this all happens within seconds and it's there's so much technology behind it that's probably very complicated, but um, the share ownership changes hands um, in, a, in a matter of like milliseconds. And so my brokerage account will take the money out of my account after a couple of days and give it to you. I um, mean, it all happens seamlessly. And for most of the time, that's that's how it works. And so it's actually like, super easy nowadays to buy and sell, maybe too easy. Um, shares in ETS, you can do it on your phone, like during the market open hours, like 10 to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. I can just hop onto my phone, go onto my brokerage app and say, hey, I want to buy shares in this cool company and I can do it instantly as long as I've got some money there to back it up. And the brokerage account, they do all these nice things for you, but in exchange, they have a fee because no one does anything for free, do they? So maybe somewhere from $9.50 to $20 for an average order. Um, so they'll take that money out of your settlement as well. And they're going to charge the buyer and they're going to charge the seller. So everyone pays a fee. Yay. Um, yeah, and different brokerage accounts have different fees. So that's why when you're comparing different ones, you might want to have a look at that. Um, but usually it's somewhere between like $10 and $20. Yeah, I've heard uh, that Self-Wealth does it for $9.50. But I've heard yeah. other ones like NAB who would do it for $20 and Commonwealth, I'm not sure, maybe $10 to $20. Uh, and I think that's also something really important to just keep in mind, if especially if you don't have a brokerage account right now and you want to make one, Yeah. to really just look at the options and see, well, if they're offering the same services and I can get one for cheaper when I pay brokerage, then I might as well go for the cheaper option. And yeah. so, yeah, and they're very easy to set up. You just need to make an account <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then you just put your monies into the funds and then you can buy whatever shares you want. I'd just like to add in, because I think it's an important 
thing to note. Um, it probably sounds really boring, but when you open your brokerage account, make sure they give you a holder identification number, which mm. is what registers your shares against you as an individual. And so you can actually take your shares to any broker you want with that holder identification number. Um, and that's registered through the ASX chess system. So if anything ever happens to the broker, if you have that holder identification number that's your own and your shares are on it, you can just move them to another broker. Um, I only mention that because there are some really cheap brokers out there that use a different model where they have one mega HIN at the top. So they'll, the company will hold the holder identification number and they'll just have everyone in like, they'll just, um, everyone's shares and purchases are held under that one HIN. So if anything ever happens, it's a lot more effort to uh, oh. move things across and it gets a bit messy. So how do you know um, if yours is your own or if it's attached to the brokerage? Yeah. So for most of the large brokers that have that 10 to $20 price tag, they are a holder identification number system. So um, because it does cost more money and they have to pay higher fees, which is part of the reason the brokerage fees are higher. Um, but you can actually look in the FAQ or ask them, will I receive my own individual holder identification number? And once you set up the brokerage account, you should receive a letter in the post because the Australian Stock Exchange still does things via yeah, snail mail. They do. And it should say, thanks for opening your brokerage account. Like whatever platform you use, you should get a blue letter. It is on blue paper in the mail um, from the Australian Stock Exchange. And it'll say your holder identification number is x000 number 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 something like that um and then you can also log into the share registries which are the companies that manage the administration of your investments um and you should if it is your own individual hold identification number you can log in using that number and your postcode and you can verify that the investment is in your name so that's always no one ever talks about this because it's kind of boring and it's admin but some of the smaller brokers popping up that are offering $5 or less per trade, they're using that custodial model where there's a mega hin and everything's sort of held in beneficial ownership underneath, which is completely legal and it's completely fine, but it's just there's more hassle at the end mm. of the day if anything were to happen, which I hope it wouldn't, but as someone who's like wants to manage their own risks, I think it's really important to focus on that. Okay, so to recap, first we need a brokerage platform or a brokerage account and you can get that via your bank or you can get that via platforms like SelfWealth and you need that to buy any sort of share. It doesn't have to be an ETF, it can just be an individual share but you, you need it anyway. Then you want to know their fees, how much do they cost, compare and contrast them and to be honest, if they're a little bit cheap, then probably you're getting what you pay for because you might not get a HIN number like what Kate was just mentioning. Okay, so now onto the fees for ETFs. For most people, the management fee will be the key thing to look for. So when you, you go to someone like Vanguard Australia's website or you go to BetaShares Australia or State Street or BlackRock, um, and you have a look at their website and you can look at all the different exchange-traded funds available um, and you can actually just control F and search for management fee. And it might be, might be like, I mean, the lowest cost Australian one in Australia is 0.07% per annum. So that's how much they're taking out as a percentage. 
So I actually really want to emphasize how important it is to check the management fee because a 1% difference can actually impact a lot. So right now I am real time just looking at the Money Smart calculator and I've got an initial deposit of 5000 and I'm going to deposit monthly with $200 and this is going to be over 40 years. So let's just say we have 5% to start with. That's like the one with a cheaper management fee. And that will give us around about $250,000 of, um, of returns. But say if that management fee was 1% higher, so you decrease your interest rate, you're only going to get $160,000, which means nearly $100,000 you lose out just from the management fee. Over 40 years, by the way. This isn't like over one year. It's over 40 years. But over 40 years, you're losing $100,000 just from fees. That is pretty crazy. I guess that's one thing why people often don't notice the management fee is because if you went to see a financial advisor, they would send you a big bill and expect you to pay it. Um, but when you use exchange-traded funds or managed funds, they're not sending you any bills. They just take the fees right out there and that's part of the part of the investment product and that's what you agree to upon purchasing. So um, that's something to be really aware of. And so in terms of narrowing down the hundreds of exchange traded fund choices uh, to a few that you might like, I think the first step is going, hey, what do I actually want to invest in? Like what's the goal today? Do I want to just invest in Australian companies? Do I want to have some exposure to US companies? Am I specifically looking to invest in robotics today? So having an idea of what you're looking for to start with and then going to each of the major ETF providers in Australia, like Vanguard, BetaShares, BlackRock, yeah, iShares, Vanek, I think, and there's a few other ETF securities. There's a few other sort of smaller ones as well. Looking at their website and then some of them will have filters as well. So um, you can actually go, hey, I'm interested in an Australian top 200 ETF. What's Vanguard's option? What's BetaShares' option? What's iShares' option? Um, and look at all the different options available that fulfill what you're looking for. And then you can more accurately compare them side by side because if you're just looking at the pool of like hundreds of ETFs, you're going to go, hey, I have no idea how to compare these because you're not comparing an apples and apples because, yeah, one ETF might be doing US robotics and one might be doing Australian top 50 companies and they're not comparable. Like it's the same legal structure, but they're not really comparable things. So it wouldn't make sense to compare the fees for a really niche ETF with the top 200 Australian companies. I feel like if you're learning and you're getting started, just looking for the ETF of the top 200 Australian companies is a good research activity, even if you don't choose to invest in that kind of exchange traded fund, just using it as a research activity to sort of get your bearings. Go, I'm going to look for every ETF that tracks the top 200 Australian companies in Australia. And then if you want to take it to the next step, you're going to go, I'm going to get a Google sheet open and I'm going to write down what everyone's, um, what index they're tracking, what their management fees are, what the total funds under management is. So the total amount invested in that ETF. Um, so that's all the other people that have put their money into it um, because that's important to know because the higher the funds under management gives you more liquidity and it means that that ETF is more likely to be around for a while 
if it's under 50 million, um, that's probably like a red flag because that's quite small for an ETF, especially for the top 200 Australian one. For a niche one like robotics, it might be a bit different. Um, but yeah, just get a Google Sheet, write down all the subcategories you see on their information page and then go through their product disclosure statement, go through their fact sheet, talk to their team and write down the key features of all of the top 200 ETFs in Australia. So Kate here is not saying the 200 ETFs, but the ETFs that just show the top 200 stocks. So don't worry, you do not have to look at hundreds upon hundreds of ETFs, unless if that's what you wanna do, of course. But for now, I would really, really suggest looking at, you know, researching big companies and doing that via Google or Reddit. Reddit is actually phenomenal. I, I love it. Um, I just ask questions via that website and there's this Oz Finance thread as well, which I find so useful because people just give their honest opinions back. You can ask any sort of questions and they will, you know, you don't have to take everything to heart, but you just learn from them. And now we're going to go use the calculator for compound interest between ETFs. Well, well, well. So, I just said initial deposit. Say we're starting off small. We've just saved yep. up $100. And I would say let's find uh, an ETF to start with. Yeah, go to Vanguard's website and have a look for something. Yep, let's do it. So they have yes. our products. Uh, now, Vanguard's so- website is very antiquated. and <laughs> They focus on our function over aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it does the job. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking we could go with VAS because um, that's yeah. the Vanguard Australian shares. So you can do this and have a look at all of the different options and they display similar information on each of the major ETF provider websites. So you can see here exactly. mm-hmm. um, where it says on the right-hand side, assets under management, AUM. Mm. So it says ETF AUM 7.45 billion. We're looking in the billions of dollars Um, That's a good sign that there's high liquidity. It's um, a very, uh, it's an ETF that a lot of people use. Super funds will use this one, financial advisors, um, wholesale clients, fund managers. Like a lot of people are using this if it's in the billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's, as I said before, if it's like a small, like a $10 million AUM, that might be a, a warning sign, but if we're in the billions, that means there's like high liquidity. There's going to be millions of units trading um, right. every day, which means it's very easy to get in and out as well. And then you can also see their management fees. So mm-hmm. 0.1%. So that's really quite low in Australia. Um, and that that's what they're taking out each year to run the thing. And because um, the assets under management, the amount of money in this ETF is so high, Um, It allows them to really reduce the management fee because um, they've got such a big pool of money. They can afford to make a really low management fee um, and still be a viable business. So that's one of the advantages of having that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the, the, so you would pay $87.99 to buy that share. Yeah. Enough. You could pay for that if you had a hundred dollars to spare. Uh, And then. They also do have what you mentioned before, the product disclosure statement. So just explaining what they do, um, their performance. But also you can see that right here as well. Every single one you look at, it'll tell you what it tracks. Um, And so this is the top 300 companies in Australia. And you can see here you've got 
different time frames as well. So what's it telling us? Inception. So that's since it started. Um, mm-hmm. It's always good to, with smaller funds, to find out what that inception date was because it could only, it might only be a year or two. So yeah. I guess um, if you scroll down, they might even say when they started this one because there's a little asterisk. 2009. Okay. So this has been operating for quite a while. So there is a good track record. So you can actually see um, that this has been going for a long time. Has it been doing what it aimed to do? And what is um, total? We're looking at 9%. Okay. So we can use that as the value then in our calculator. Um, Since inception, around 9% returns per annum is what they, what the PA stands for. And yeah, I mean, 2009, it was right after the global financial crisis. Yeah, so it was quite that's a, a good time to start. So the 10 years is closer to 7%. So um, you may oh, want to try anywhere true. between 7 to 9%, just because we've um, the market has had a, quite a good run since 2009. That's um, true. More realistic. Let's say 7% yeah. then. Uh, so yeah, m- most people do chuck in 7%. It's like a, it's always better to, under than overestimate your return um, because you might think you're going to reach if you put in like 10 percent, you might think you're going to reach your goal a lot quicker than yeah you might in reality for sure so then um we have a hundred dollars and say a regular deposit you really don't want to do it too regularly so let's say fifty dollars and let's do fortnightly Hmm. which seems pretty reasonable cool and then for the big reveal so so for 10 years, here we go. That's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so $50 a fortnight over 10 years um, ends up being 13000 and then it's telling you um, how much interest you made on top of that. So that would include capital growth. So the, the companies in that top 300 have actually increased in value mm-hmm. um, and it would also include income. So Many of the companies in the Australian top 300 also pay, you've probably heard of dividends before. Yeah, that's right. Um, So they pay part of their income. So, yeah, all the, like the large banks, they'll pay part of their income they receive each year out to the shareholders. So you can actually choose with an ETF to reinvest that as well. So that helps the snowball effect over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess you can see, like, it's amazing. You just think $50 a fortnight over 10 years and it, and it for most, five, nearly six thousand yeah. dollars for doing nothing but just putting some fifty dollars in a fortnight. Yeah, let's change it to a forty-year time frame and just sort of see how crazy that is. Mm-hmm. I love so this. This doing... is what we do in our downtime. <laughs> <laughs> Look oh, at wow. this! Wow! <laughs> oh, this makes me go just mm. wow. And this is where you start to really see the benefit of compound interest because um, it's showing you that. You put in a total of fifty-two thousand, so you diligently put your fifty dollars in a fortnight over forty years. But because you got to take advantage of capital growth and income, yeah. and look at that snowball. Most of the return here, two hundred thirty-three thousand, was not actually your money at all. It was from growth and income. So, um, like, that's a lot of money for just putting fifty dollars a fortnight away yeah. on a regular basis. Nearly two hundred fifty thousand dollars of just passive growth you don't have to really worry about it apart from the fact that you just put money in it consistently Mm. they always do talk about consistency in time with finances yeah and i think that's 
the hard part, isn't it? Like, it's hard to think, oh, am I going to, how can I do this for 40 years? Like, that's so long away. Um, but it's, if you start early and you put just a small amount aside on a regular basis, uh, it, it just is a game changer. And you always, you hear the stories about like the, the janitors and the nurses and things that die with multi-million dollar estates and no one ever knew because they just put the small amounts aside on a regular basis. Um, they didn't buy flashy cars. They didn't do crazy things. They just committed to a regular strategy and like it's insane how much of a change it makes. And then if you can, um, maybe once you're in your thirties or forties, you can afford to add more than $50 a fortnight in. Maybe you can put a couple of hundred dollars in a fortnight and that will really supercharge your wealth. Like you're going to be in the millions of dollars. For sure. For sure. And, and I think because this is pretty unrealistic, usually if you've, you make an income, uh, weekly or fortnightly, it would be somewhere around a thousand at least. And so $50 is only a small portion of that. Uh, sometimes they recommend, you know, a percentage of it that gets automatically deposited into it. Mm. So say if you had 150, um, which is pretty reasonable, again, fortnightly, all of that's Mm. still the same. And you end up getting, yeah, wow, okay, nearly 700. Getting close to a million? (laughs) Yeah, over 40 years, you're essentially nearly a millionaire just by putting $150. That's a... That's a pair of expensive shoes yeah. or that's a and cheap bike. Just think if you have a pay rise or an unexpected windfall, if you do and earn um, 10K in the lottery um, or you get a bonus, if you just put that extra like one, two, five, ten grand in as an yeah. additional contribution, it's just going to torpedo everything. Okay, so now we've reached the end or nearly the end. And here are the key takeaways from Kate about super and investing. Yeah, I think it's just good to keep in mind that super is your money and making a few right decisions now, as you've seen in the calculator, will have tremendous impact over your lifetime. If you don't know where your super is right now, head to the MyGov website, log in, um, put in your tax file number and find any lost super you've got around. Or if you just forgot all the logins, go about and sort that out so you can actually log into your super account, find out where you're invested in, um, and then go from there and explore, is there another investment option or a super provider? Uh, What are you currently paying in your fees? Um, And sort of just give yourself like an assessment of your super and what it's doing and what you want it to do. And just spending a few hours sorting it out, learning about it is really important. It's it's going to be the best time you ever spend, as you can see, over your lifetime. It's it's just spending a few hours is going to change like hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Um, so, yeah, just keeping an eye on that. Don't get too overwhelmed by ETFs. There's plenty of forums and groups that you can talk to, ask questions, always look for multiple sources. Not everybody on the internet knows what they're talking about. Um, So get ideas from different people, listen to some different podcasts. Um, Even people that run ETF companies in Australia, a lot of them have been interviewed on different finance podcasts in Australia, including uh, mine. So have a listen to those and you can get a feel of how it works. Um, Listen to some, a few, maybe five different ETF episodes and then you might go, hey, what are the common threads? Pick out some of the key pieces and the action points from there. So There's so many resources out there and great books. I mean, if you go to the library, 
Um, there's a lot of Australian personal finance um, writers putting out books now. Um, so just, yeah, there's heaps of resources out there if you just go looking. Yeah, for sure. And I was looking through your episode list and I would, uh, anyone, again, listening, watching, also go to How To Money because I've seen the episodes where they you go into super, you go into EDFs, mm. you interview people who are in that field already. So it's uh, all these podcasts are so readily available. So many resources. And they're free. I know. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for existing as well, for creating the uh-huh for the podcast, for the resources, because it's not just how to money. Rask, was it? Rask? Yeah. If you look at Rask Education, there's heaps of free personal finance courses there as well, um, which I sort of help create. So if you're interested in a free online course, there's another option for you. Mm -hmm. So to condense all of that, where can we find you? Um, howtomoney.online or if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts, um, you can find me talking on How To Money or the Australian Finance Podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was our final episode with Kate Campbell and there is a lot of information. If you're a bit confused or you have questions, then email itsjjyang at gmail.com and find us on podcasts or YouTube and all the links will be in the show notes. So see you next time.